0: it's time for a little something i forget my notes say i'm professor robert eg black and i'm here with fellow movies by minutes podcaster chris frayne and it's time to discuss eternal sunshine of the spotless minute but they're erasing me and i have no memory of any of this
1: (laughs) you're so nice i gotta stop saying that
0: so i guess you're chris
1: yeah hi everyone take over glad to be back glad to round out this uh (laughs) existential trilogy you know This is kind of a fiendish project to hatch at this time. (laughs) If you had done this like three years ago, I'd be like, oh great, let's talk about like being trapped or repeating the same days in our lives or forgetting (laughs) important people. But doing this at the tail end of this pandemic that's kept us all inside, and in particular, scheduling my episodes at the tail end (laughs) of, to me, a brutal upper Midwestern winter, which has kept me inside as well. By the way, I've been assured by locals that this is a mild winter. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is kind of fiendish. I, I've been just, my endurance has been tested. And then it's, okay, let's talk about existentialism in, in film. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about existence itself.
0: Starting with you, mm-hmm. when did you see this movie?
1: I saw this movie in the theater when it came out with my wife and i believe i'll tell you the exact theater it was the theater that is part of the hinkle family fun center which that setting alone could have been in this film it was a dilapidated laser tag drive go karts around kind of place that also had a movie theater in it and this is in albuquerque It is featured in Breaking Bad when Walter White is shopping with Saul for a business to hide the money in. And they go and they're checking out a laser tag place. There's a movie theater in the parking lot right next to that. And that's where I saw Eternal Sunshine. It was a great little theater. I think it's still around. And they realized that they couldn't – I think every city has one of these They realized they couldn't keep up with, like, the 16, the 24s. Yeah. And so they said, you know what? We're going to have movies for adults. And I don't mean X-rated. I just mean, like, movies that are, like, it's not, like, full-on art house. Shout out to the Guild Cinema in Albuquerque. It's not, like, art house. It's more like, you know, it's where your Merchant Ivory movies, if they were still making them, are going to go. It's where, like, that Kenneth Branagh movie that just came out. Belfast. You know what I mean? It's that sort of theater. Eternal Sunshine, you know, it's not quite art house. You know, it's not totally weird, but it's quirky enough that, you know, like your Wes Anderson movies would show up there. Okay. That sort of thing. Honestly, first viewing, I any first viewing is tough for something like this because you're just trying to keep track. You're so disoriented by the end. right? And it ends and you're like, I get the emotional weight of the ending, but I'm like, Wait, so that whole first part was happening now? uh, Yeah. It's funny in the movie, watching it yesterday, they say, you know, that memories have an emotional component to them. Right. And I remember feeling like talking with my wife excitedly about like trying to figure it out. And as we're driving down the street, this monsoon downpour. Comes down. If they ever try to wipe my wife's memory away from my brain, this will be one of the spaces it's (laughs) in. Because I can still see this vividly. This downpour comes down, and the water is like, because it has nowhere to go on the streets in the desert. It's immediately up over the midpoint, you know, of the tires or you know the, the wow. front bumper of the little car we drove, and we had to like just pull into someone's driveway and wait for like twenty minutes while it just ran down this hill like a river. And I always associate that with Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Nice.
0: The beginning of my notes for this minute are something that's not in the movie. We saw the potatoes last minute, (laughs) the little potato people, which is in the shooting script that she has those. But the thing that isn't is she has a photo of crows flying on her wall Mm -hmm. that Joel takes down and reads. There's an inscription on the back. It is a very short poem by Robert Frost called Dust of Snow. The way a crow shook down on me, the dust of snow from a hemlock tree has given my heart a change of mood and saved some part of a day I had rude. Mm. I kind of wish it was in the movie because I like it. Mm. Although Robert Frost is one of those like cliche things in movies that maybe comes up too often and they always reference the same poem. It'd be good to have another Robert Frost poem in a movie.
1: You know, it's funny that resonates with me right now. I just experienced my first or it's not done. I shouldn't use the past tense. I am experiencing my first upper Midwestern winter Mm. and I have just been practically homebound this entire time because I am a coward when it comes to (laughs) cold temperatures. I consider anything below 30 cold. And my wife is such a adventurous soul and nothing bothers her. And she's been running around like going to different parks and so she's very outdoorsy, (laughs) taking all these amazing pictures of frozen lakes and things like that so my resolution next year is to embrace winter kind of like this poem you know yeah this thing that i dreaded next year i'm going to turn it into something i embrace we're going to go lay on the frozen ice in the middle of the night and i'm going to tell her this is the happiest i've ever been
0: nice the poem is very specific too because it's the opening line the way a crow shook down on me it's like a very specific memory That Mm -hmm. isn't described to us. Right. He's saying like, this thing happened and it made my day better. Right. But it doesn't sound like a good thing. It's, you know, snow getting dropped on you, but it
1: works. Spare better than poop.
0: Yeah. And they briefly discuss it because Joel's like frost. Like he recognizes it. She says, yeah, I'm not like a Robert Frost lover by any stretch. His stuff seems strictly grade school to me, (laughs) but this made me cry for some reason, maybe because it is grade school. You know, he says, it's pretty. And she says, I miss grade school. I don't know why I'm calling it grade school all of a sudden. When I went, we called it elementary school. But I like grade school better. Sounds like something someone from the 40s would call it. <laughs> I'd like to be from then. Everyone wore hats. Anyway, cheers.
1: Wow, that's some like <laughs> stream of consciousness yeah. dot connecting there. She, The way She's she talks, wrong.
0: she is she is so much wordier in the script. Mm. I have specific notes about how they edited part of this scene
1: to cut around some of that. Oh yeah, this scene is very choppy. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of, I I could have described half of the scenes in the the film that way, but it's very like, okay, this sentence fragment, and then this response happened, and now we're totally on the other side of the room, and this sentence is happening, and yeah.
0: I mean, keep in mind, we're minute 12, and we haven't gotten the opening credits yet. That's true.
1: Well, I wrote prologue, (laughs) question mark?
0: Yeah, a lot of these early conversations probably had to get cut down just in post-production yeah because it's like yeah you can delay those a bit but they have to happen otherwise you have guild problems
1: by the way i totally forgot that this was prologue and mm-hmm. when the titles came up it was jarring
0: oh yeah <laughs> and the music kicks <laughs> right. in and he's crying right. it's great because right. you don't realize it you forget there weren't titles yet right
1: right and i watch a lot of movies where they don't really bother with opening titles too much you know
0: yeah They also, because of the way they filmed this movie, had to do abrupt cuts on some things because a lot of this was filmed. They had two cameras running, one on her, one on him, and would film the entire scene. And so the cameras would have to stay out of each other's view. They had to do movements for certain angles on certain lines while avoiding each other and then hope that they could cut around those movements. Or they in the train, they tried to make the movements really interesting. And then none of those movements are in the movie Mm. (laughs) because it got cut around. Because here she's giving him a drink. And we've seen the potatoes and she just told him, drink up, young man. It'll make the whole seduction part less repugnant, which that line comes after they've had a whole conversation about Frost. And I think they've already had the conversation about premonitions, which isn't in the movie. Mm. So two whole parts of this conversation that we don't see. Right. He does laugh at her line about it being less repugnant. And she says, I'm just kidding. Come on. And she pushes him onto the couch.
1: By the way, that is some serious. I'm gonna coin a thing that makes me sound like a horrible person, but that that's okay. that's a female privilege. Could you imagine me?
0: <laughs> oh, pushing you! <laughs> no, or saying, saying
1: like drink, like jokingly saying, "Well, drink up. This will <laughs> make the seduction that loves much less repugnant." <laughs> that's like manic pixie girl privilege in that moment, yeah. or
0: movie character. Yeah, privilege there you go. As there well, you
1: know. again, I don't really think this way. I'm just
0: yeah. Out there. This is where we cut the premonition conversation happens here. She's talking about how she has ideas of things and then they happen. Most of it wasn't that exciting, but I liked her. I think it's the line she says at the end of it is, it's helpful to think there's some order to things. Mm-hmm. So she likes when things she thought about before happen. Makes things feel important.
1: You know, there's some, there are things in my life that I, I feel the same way about. So a detriment, like where I'm like, I bet I have a cavity in that tooth. And it makes me almost feel better that like, I go to the dentist and they go, yeah, you have a cavity. Yeah, you were right. Whereas I've been at a dentist swearing that I have a cavity and they go, oh no, it's probably your gum's just a little sensitive or something. <laughs> I'm like, wait, but that means that pain can happen anytime. All right. You don't want to I don't, that. Want, I don't want to deal with that. Just It needs to have a cause. Right, right. Fix it.
0: And so in the film, we get an abrupt cut here to them already sitting on the couch- Seeming like they're already bored of their conversation Mm. because they skip two parts of the conversation. Then that's when she says, You're kind of closed mouthed, aren't you? Mm. Which is after she's been talking a lot. In the movie, she hasn't really been talking a lot in this scene.
1: Yeah, it makes it extra awkward that Mm -hmm. we don't really see her talking for much more than what we saw.
0: He says, I'm sorry, just, you know, my life isn't that. He laughs. Interesting. I go to work, I come home. And we get a shot that also, to me, feels weird because we get a shot of her as she's listening to him and she's staring very intently. She like licks her lips.
1: Yeah, I noticed that too. I wrote a big note about that.
0: And I'm like, why did they choose this angle on her instead of they had an angle on him for this? That's how they were filming it. I guess it's just so we see that she is really, regardless of the content, she is really into him. Yeah. Even though she doesn't know why. And he doesn't know why. And we don't know why. So it works as that emotional core, like you were saying for the movie, is that we can feel it, even if it isn't really in the writing yet,
1: or the dialogue, anyway. Yeah, it's a very strange shot, her reaction shot. Like, she's almost like a wolf or something.
0: (laughs) Yeah, she's getting ready to eat him. Yeah. And he says, don't know what to say. You should read my journal. There's, I mean, it's just blank. And I love that she is concerned. She's like, really? Does that make you sad? (laughs) And she inches closer to him. She keeps going or anxious. I mean, I'm always anxious thinking I'm not living my life to the fullest, you know, taking advantage of every possibility, making sure I'm not wasting one second of the little time I have. And he says really quietly, and I don't think I even noticed till now doing my notes that he says really quietly. I think about that.
1: Oh, I didn't pick up on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's in the script too, but he says it so quietly, but he looks right at her and he says, I think about that. Hmm. And I'm like, that is so cute. Right? She's going on this weird, crazy rant about being anxious and he's listening, Mm -hmm. which is good. They may have problems, but in this moment, I think they're doing okay.
1: In the last two years, I can really relate to his comment about... There's not much to say. I go to work and I come home. Mm -hmm. And I know I am not alone in that. Yeah. These last two years, I just, you know, and part of it, before there was a vaccine available, I could say, hey, look, it's a dangerous world for me. Right. And then I got the vaccine. and I remember telling my wife, you know what? You're going to see a new side of me that you've never seen. I'm going to be the most gregarious, (laughs) you know, I'm going to set this town on fire And I immediately went back to, no, it's still dangerous out there. And I'm just going to, and none of my friends really want to hang out in this environment.
0: I live in LA, right? I used to go in theaters to three or four movies a week, like the couple of years right before the pandemic came. Did
1: you have that movie pass or whatever it was called? Yeah.
0: I had the movie pass. I had then the AMC version of that after that died. And now I almost went to a movie a couple of weeks ago. And then in the moment I was like, yeah, I don't want to go sit in a movie theater. I don't know who's there. And it's not that I think I'm going to get sick. I got the vaccine. I got the second dose. I got the booster. I wear a mask or two, but it's like, I let my anxiety win for a couple of years. And now it's like, you know, we can just live like this. Yeah. Like I'm teaching from home. And one of my classes, that is really annoying me. Because it's a small group communication class that would do really well with like being in the room, forming groups on the spot to discuss things. And on Zoom, I'm like, I can make breakout rooms, I guess. Right. The energy is not
1: there. Right. It's weird. Yeah. And I think there are going to be a lot of people over a certain age. Again, I'm calling myself out for being old. (laughs) Where they never... We never really go back. No. It's one thing if you're just full of hormones and you're like, "Ah, i got to get out there, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Good for you. But like, I'm just like, yeah, I, I, and I'm not happy about it. That's the thing. And that's where this hurts is when he said that I was like, yeah, that's what I've become. And I'm not happy about it, but I'm sorry, listeners.
0: Yeah. And even his, he doesn't even know why his is even worse. Just two years of his journal are gone. he's like, I haven't had an entry in two years.
1: Like, yeah. And he's what's supposed to be, I'm, I'm guessing 28, the character. I mean, I know Jim Carrey was older than that.
0: And like, you don't lose track of that. Or you assume you were like so depressed for the last two years that you didn't ever think to write anything down, Yeah, which is weird in the moment. But later, maybe you'll think positively, but like, oh, well, now I feel good. I want to write something down. But then he meets Clem and goes a whole other direction.
1: Have you ever had a blue ruin? I don't think so. I have not, and I am intrigued after reading about what it is. What is it? This is from ginbrew.com. Blue Ruin is a robust, assertive, juniper-forward blend that will appeal to traditionally-minded gin drinkers. Interesting. Its name harkens back to an epithet for gin used by anti-spirits crusaders during the gin craze that followed England's glorious revolution. So we're talking late 1600s, early 1700s.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, Blue Ruin is like calling someone a wino or... It, which is from the film. Right.
0: Yeah, later.
1: <laughs> Why now? I love that. I love that exchange. However, unlike the original Blue Ruin, that so frightened 18th century moralists, this blends powerful evergreen notes are rounded out with herbal notes of rosemary and thyme. So the recipe for a Blue Ruin, gin, lemon juice, cream de voilette, huh. some kirsch, okay. some simple syrup, and orange bitters. You can also make it foamy, which I don't think they're doing here, by adding some bizarre process of adding egg white to it and shaking it up.
0: Oh, that'd probably be too complicated. I mean, she's mixing it with her fingers, so she's not breaking some eggs, too.
1: I'm intrigued. I'm going to have a Blue Ruin sometime.
0: Yeah, I've never had one. I don't really drink alcohol much anymore, because as you keep saying, we're old, (laughs) (laughs) and I take medication at night that doesn't go well with alcohol, so I don't drink much anymore, but... I never drank gin very much. Yeah. So yeah, this drink never came up. And so far in the show, we've been referencing it in reference to the conversation that got cut out about Tom Waits <gasps> and the song that references Blue. Oh, ah, okay. So no, I've never drank that. And it does sound interesting. I don't know if it sounds good. There's
1: only one way to know.
0: Right. And just like Groundhog Day, when I get to that minute, I may make myself a sweet vermouth on the rocks with a twist. Oh, right, right. (laughs) Which is a boring drink. Yeah. It's very sweet, but also not that strong. So I could totally drink it. Yeah. We get to a wider angle and Clem is smiling. And that's because of one of the awkward cuts in the scene. She's not smiling. And then we cut and she is. And he has kind of a fake smile. She laughs. He laughs. And in the script... So this is where it gets weird, because my notes, I was figuring out what was going on as I wrote it. And I'm like, in the script, she starts crying here. Not for the first time in the scene. She's cried twice. And I'm like, I think Winslet is just playing Clem as more of a happy drunk than a sad drunk. And that's okay. But that wasn't it. Because in the movie, she says, you're really nice. Oh, God, I have to stop saying that. Right. And that's it for the minute. But in the script, she is sad here. She says, you're really nice. But then she says, I'm sorry I yelled at you before about it. God, I'm an idiot. And they have a whole exchange about the word nice. He says he uses it too much. She asks him what his goal is. And she offers a purse, which I think fits with like this show and that Titian painting and Ex Machina and Tuesday and Groundhog Day. Because she tells him, my goal, Joel, is to just let it flow through me. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's all these emotions and ideas and they come quick and they change and they leave and they come back in a different form. And I think we're all taught we should be consistent. You know, you love someone, that's it. Forever. You choose to do something with your life. That's it. That's what you do. It's a sign of maturity to stick with that and see things through. And my feeling is that's how you die because you stop listening to what is true. And what is true is constantly changing. You know, like I wanted to talk to you, I didn't need any more reason to do it. Who knows what bigger cosmic reason might exist? And then she says, You're very nice. God, I have to stop saying that. And it, we get like the line that's in the movie. So, we're cutting from one time she says you're very nice to instead the other time she says you're very nice. So, she's even repeating it in the scene right. when they had a conversation about how they call each other nice too much.
1: What you just read from the screenplay mm-hmm. is really important information. Yeah. And is it possible it was cut because it telegraphs too much of the rest of the movie?
0: For where this scene is in the movie as edited, yeah. Yeah. 12 minutes in, we don't want her announcing too much about the themes. Yeah. In a few minutes, that would be important, and that'll come into a possible podcast I'm going to do when I finish these three shows. Hmm. Minute 17, you like people to say what the movie's about yeah. or thereabouts, yeah. but not minute 12. It's too early. Plus, as you said, this movie plays more on your feelings than your sort of intellectual understanding of its structure the first time. Yeah. And so we don't want someone to tell us that. So, yeah. But then we get a weird cut where she's smiling when she didn't just say something that was funny or trying to be funny.
1: Yeah, I found this all, if I hadn't seen this already and knew that most of the dialogue is basically happening in someone's head, in their memories, and our memories have gaps in them. And so if you created a literal motion picture out of our memories, Mm -hmm. you would see people reacting in really strange, disjointed ways because you don't have the smooth transitions between them. Someone Mm -hmm. would be laughing and then immediately crying or whatever. If I didn't know that that was already a theme, in the, huh. you know, on the second watch. I bet I bet you I was more thrown when I saw it in 2005 because I'm like, wait, why is she looking like that after he just said that?
0: That's interesting also in that this part of the movie isn't in his head, right? This is the other part, but maybe it works because so much of what is in his head has been edited to be super smooth and the transitions, they don't all make sense, but we understand them we see them happen Mm -hmm. whereas here the fact that she has that smile maybe plays into like our sense of how uncomfortable this scene is while also she's smiling which should be good right and he smiles which should be good right but it isn't yeah but i also like how she explains her goal and what she it's more of like clementine explaining why she is who she is yeah i don't know I like when she explains herself.
1: The note that I had when she says, you're kind of closed mouth, aren't you? And first of all, at least the way this is edited, she has given him almost no chance to speak right. at all. And then secondly, that's kind of how I am when I'm around anyone who has, and and they don't mean to be, but they have a, there are certain people that have an energy level that is so high yeah. all the time. And they are just, they're full of frantic ideas and emotions and whatever, and and they want to tell you about it. And I have learned to not even try. I used to, I think, try to match that energy (laughs) and it would turn into this like bizarre shouting match, you know. And now I've just learned like, okay, when someone's like that, let them be like that. Don't shut down, like right. acknowledge them, but like, you don't have to talk if they don't want you to talk. Yeah. If they're going to fill the space and that's okay. And so like, I just looked at that and, and I, I said, yeah, that's how I'd be.
0: Especially if it's someone, you know, if it's a stranger, it might be hard to gauge whether you should try to come up to her level or how you should interact with her. Right. I'm used to, I mean, we've been talking about how, you know, lockdown and pandemic and staying home more. I think I'm in my head. I'm more Clementine, but outwardly I'm more Joe. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is how I end up with three podcasts that cross over with each other is I have crazy ideas, Yep. but then when I'm going to tell someone about it, I'm like, Oh, there's kind of these things where I'm talking about these movies and I'll, I'll, get, I'll start <laughs> muttering yeah, and lose track. Cause I, I don't want to make eye contact with people.
1: Oh, i I'm <laughs> terrible at that since pandemic. I was terrible at that before. I avert my worse. eyes all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. And I noticed it wasn't really a problem until I maybe six months in and I went out somewhere and was talking to someone and I realized I couldn't look at them.
0: Yeah. And then one of the few places where I will open up is in a classroom. Like I was on the speech team before I was a teacher. If you put me in front of an audience, I can be big, I can be energetic, I can do crazy things and whatever. But if I'm in a conversation one-on-one I always tell my students that I'm feeling like you're going to be more likely to judge what I'm going to say. And then I admit that that's probably just me projecting because I'm judging everything everyone says to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But you put me in front of a large group. I'm like, at least one of you is really paying attention to what I'm saying and enjoying it. And that's all that really matters. I know that person's here and I don't have to make eye contact with them because I can look at someone else. I can look at the top of someone's head. (laughs) I can fake it. So yeah, the minute actually ends just with her saying, God, I have to stop saying that.
1: It's strange this whole bit makes you also feel like, and especially when he leaves, I think in the next minute, like, did I just miss something? Because he seemed miserable that whole time. And yet he's walking on cloud nine as he leaves. Right. (laughs) And yeah, it's just that weird choppiness.
0: Keep in mind, basically the last two years of his most emotional moments are gone. Right. So this is what's left. It's apparently going to take more than a day for him to feel like someone normal, maybe? Yeah. I relate very much to both these characters.
1: (laughs) Oh, me too. Me too. Because of this. Yeah.
0: I'm like, yeah, I get that. She's too much. He's not enough. He feels bad about it. She feels bad about it. But they both feel good at the same time. That's my life.
1: (laughs) Kudos to the... I guess it's set dressers and production design for making her apartment match her character.
0: Without being too over the top. Exactly.
1: And without being the laziest thing. And I would not expect this in a Michelle Gondry movie, but the laziest thing would have basically been to make her apartment stylish. Ah, yeah. You know? Well, of course, they live in, it's supposed to be Long Island, but you know, it's by extension, New York to make it very hip and very stylish. It's a mess. Mm -hmm. That apartment is a wonderful mess of secondhand furniture and all sorts of trinkets and gigas and whatever, but they fit the character.
0: Well, and also though you use the word mess. I don't think it's messy. No.
1: It's like where I
0: am right now, there's stuff and the stuff doesn't all go together. Right. And someone who walked in here would probably notice the messier aspects and the clutter. But I'm like, no, I know where that book is. I know where that thing is. I know where the scissors are. I know. It makes
1: sense to me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It has to. That's how I get through my day.
1: (laughs) I guess I I shouldn't have used the word mess, but like it's eclectic. No, it's a good word because it's like the nice thing. Mess
0: can mean different things. Right. And for some people, her place, that would be uncomfortable to sit in. But then... We've been rewatching Friends recently, and there's that episode where Ugh. the girl whose place was a mess and he sticks his hand in like food and he doesn't know what it is on her couch. Right. This isn't that.
1: No, it's not that. No, it's not that. But I'm glad you brought up Friends. Friends was like the most unrealistic depiction. And I know I'm not the first person to say this, right? Of young urban living. Mm-hmm. And my biggest sort of fear. It would have been a fear in the 90s, actually, is that it was leading people on to think that's what you deserve when you're a 20-something living in New York. And it's like, (laughs) oh, my God, you have no idea. No. And not just New York. Pretty much any major city, you're going to be lucky to get a studio apartment without a roommate. And all of their stuff was stylish. Yeah. And that's, that is a trend that, with a few notable exceptions, has continued to this day, mostly in television. Oh, yeah. But in, in movies, in romantic comedies, that's also a very easy way to conceive of what someone's apartment looks like, yep. is just go with whatever the style is at the time, you know, make everything look like it was bought yesterday mm-hmm. at the same time.
0: When you want it to fit together well enough that we don't always notice it. Right. Right. Because we're going to be spending a lot of time in that same set. Right. We're not in her apartment very much in this whole movie.
1: It is the most realistic depiction I've seen of this is where this person would live, for sure. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. Anything else on the movie or the minute?
1: I started thinking about what I would use lacuna if lacuna existed. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I really gosh, this kept me up last night. I'm I'm not going to lie. I don't think I could ever erase people from my memory. And there are people who I have not gotten along with. It tends to be concentrated in rando bullies from middle school and elementary (laughs) school that, yeah, if they didn't exist, and if the memories that they created for me didn't exist, I'd be happier, sure. But I'm going to put a little spin on this. What I would use Lacuna for is to erase the memory of things that I've done that were either embarrassing for me or somebody else or hurtful for especially other people. In some cases, it's been me just being ignorant in other cases like I, I don't think i've ever been intentionally malicious right. but there have been times where i've been absent-mindedly mean-spirited mm-hmm. and it's beyond just oh i walked out of the bathroom with toilet paper on my shoe i wish i could forget that <laughs> it's not that type of thing it's more like wow i really i said the wrong thing in a real i'll give you i'll give you a, a perfect example of this Because this came up right about the same time as this movie came out. I was working in a bookstore and a person I worked with said that her dog had died, like in the last week or so. And in my head, I thought, well, time tends to heal these wounds. Right. And at the end of the day, you can probably handle a dog dying better than a person. This is my thought process. Okay. Okay. It's all true. Right. So I turn to her and I say, well, that's okay. You can just get another dog. Oh, no. I said that with as the words to represent the thought process of you'll be okay yeah. in a while. And unlike people, you can acquire a dog. There was important context to make it work. And she <laughs> just looked at me. Horrified. And this is someone I got along with. Mm. We didn't really hang out other than working together, but we got along great at work. And she looked at me like I had just like stabbed her or something. Yeah, I mean, just the tears and the shock of what I just said. I would kill to erase that moment. And I would like to erase it from her memory if she still remembers it (laughs) and my memory for sure, because it to this day, it causes me pain that I said that. And I couldn't explain what I meant. So it's that type of thing. It's not like I don't want that person gone.
0: No, I, I get you. I think I worry, especially from some conversations on this show so far, yeah, with other people, that there's a danger in doing that as well, though, because maybe you saying that thing changed the way you respond to similar things later. Yeah. And it made you nicer. Yes. Because that one time you didn't think before you said a certain thing, like certain things I've said where I'm like, it's kind of funny. And then I realized that the Person, I'm saying it to the context is not the same for them, and they don't find it funny. Yeah, yeah. and then it's like, well, that I can't erase that. You feel bad. I feel bad for making you feel bad. Right, and you can't fix it. But also, the next time you're talking about something similar, you don't make that mistake
1: again. Right, hopefully you learn. Yeah, that's kind of the message of the movie in a way, isn't it? Because they Mm -hmm. both well. The the song the the great song at the end everybody's got to learn sometime you know it's you can't just conveniently forget things or have them forgotten for you right if you're gonna grow as and be happy as a person you have to learn and you have to learn from the really painful stuff that either someone does to you or you do to someone else.
0: I mean, there's traumatic experiences that I think some people maybe would be better off not remembering, Yeah. but then they also have to know they went through it Yeah. because it's part of their life. And so then it comes down to, will that make them more like they're fascinated by trying to figure out what happened and they missed it? Because that's how I'd be. Yeah. If you erase something from mine, if I can't remember when I did something or where I did something or who I was with, that'll bug me for until I forget that I was that like, you know, trying to think of it because I move on to something else, but oh. Or like erasing a relationship like this. Yeah. The relationship you just got out of, sure. Erasing that really painful one three relationships ago, then how do you understand the context of relationship since? Right, right. Like, how did I get together with that second girlfriend except because of how bad the first one ended? Right. And then I only ended up with my, speaking truthfully here, only ended up with my wife maybe because those other ones didn't go the way they went. And if I don't remember them, maybe I wonder how that ever got there.
1: Did this movie, kind of like in Ex Machina, when Caleb thinks he might be a, an android, gets paranoid about it? Mm-hmm. Does this movie ever make you paranoid that, wait, what if there's a person I've completely forgotten about? And not not because Lacuna got to you, but just in general, like, oh. The
0: good news is, if I had it erased, or someone erased it from me, the person I am now is the person who didn't experience it. Right. I hope. Yeah. Like, if it feels like a hole, if it feels like something's missing... Like, Joel woke up and wanted to go to Montauk and didn't know why. Yeah. That's a problem if he doesn't meet her today. Right. If she's not there, he had a weird-ass day. Right. And no one wants a weird-ass day. (laughs) But I get it. I get the lure of a time loop, the lure of erasing bad things from your mind.
1: Yeah. They're both in service of the same thing, which is it's more like I'm self-evaluating and going, oh, Mm -hmm. I didn't do a good job with that. Right. Can we have a do-over?
0: Yeah. The question with these three movies is who's the subject of the experiment and who is in charge? Yeah. And if you're in charge, what do you do? And if listeners want to hear you some more, oh, yeah. Remind them where they can find you.
1: Sure. If you like the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey, you can find one of these movies by Minute Podcasts. About that, it's called Open the Podcast Doors Hell. It should still be on Spotify. And uh, we did it a few years ago. I did one of these with Tierney Steele from some other movies by Minute Podcasts you may know. And we did. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and that is on the podcast called This Means Something. And we are also getting ready in August to do a sort of Movies by Minute podcast for Apocalypse Now. And it's probably going to be called the Apocalypse Now Minutes because we're doing it five minutes at a time. Because she has a life, and I do not, and so I (laughs) I conceded that we will do fewer episodes rather than sticking to the traditional format. Thank you for
0: listening. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for Minutia X Machina, every Wednesday for the Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute, and every Thursday for more Eternal Sunshine. You can find this show on social media. It's on Instagram, it's on Facebook, it's on Twitter or go to lemmingdrops.com because this is a production of Lemming Drop Studio, and you can find the links at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group, Lemming Drop Studio Tour, or you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time.